Welcome back to the McCann Dogs podcast, episode 17. And you know, a thing that I've never seen <laughs> is someone rehearse bad behaviors and uh, have an easy time fixing the problem. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about <laughs> in today's episode. As always, I'm joined by instructor Shannon, uh, who is our online, tra- online training director. And this is something that's come up. And I think it's a really important topic for right now, mm-hmm. as Pete, Shannon and I were talking just before we started the episode and talking about a lot of the new challenges that dog owners have getting out into the real world, you know, seeing new things for your dog. And sometimes there are issues that are not so easily fixed. And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, whether or not you need to go to a professional dog trainer, you know, there's, I guess to preface this just a little bit for, coming from in my mind. Things we don't publish, we publish a lot of uh, videos on the YouTube channel as well as educational stuff on the blog and and here in our podcast. But a lot of times things that we won't, because we don't want to be prescriptive, because we know having uh, uh, seen so many dogs over the years that uh, a small piece of bad information can really derail a dog's training. It can put a a human or a dog or another human or another dog in a bad situation. So there are some things that we don't, um, you know, uh, uh, talk about uh, on YouTube here on the podcast, because we know that oftentimes people will say, oh, okay, well, to fix this, I do these five steps. And that might not be right for your dog. Mm Yeah, most of the times it's probably not going to be. You right. need you need specific feedback for well, a lot of things. Totally. Yeah. So, you know, there are situations where we will say, okay, you know, to uh, to to someone who's looking to be a student, you know, we just don't have space right now or, you know, you you can do a a video private lesson at X time. But until that point, here's a handful of things that I want you to try and and work on because they're safe, they're relationship building, it speaks to your leadership. There, there's some things, and that's what we're going to talk about in today's episode. You know, what can you do until you can get to see a pro? And uh, give me a sense of where your head was at when you uh, were coming up with this uh, this content. Yeah, I, I mean, it, this is sort of, um, it's, it's a necessity right now. As you said, things are opening back up after COVID. We're lucky enough to be in an area where things are opening back up and people are calling us and they are desperate for help. But but everybody is so backlogged with everything, including us. So we're um, we're struggling to find times to get people in for private lessons, for problem solving, for things that have sort of cropped up during COVID and they've not been able to get out and deal with them. So as you're waiting, and, and I know that it is... It's tough to get in anywhere right now, but this is the way it's going to be for a little while. So I think that we need to adapt to the situation. And I wanted to provide tips for what to do while you're waiting so that you can keep yourself and the dog safe and you can prevent the problem from getting worse. I mean, even if it's a problem that doesn't necessarily have an element of lack of safety, we still want to make sure that we are setting our dogs up to be successful and to do the right thing. So I wanted to put together a bunch of tips that basically allow allowed people to continue to exist and exist well while they waited to get in to see somebody. And one of the most important things, uh, and as I mentioned in the uh, choppy opening, was um, uh, preventing the rehearsal of these things. And, you know, there's a, there are all kinds of dog training challenges that people have that had they not allowed the dog to do that thing in the first place, or had they not allowed the dog to rehearse mm-hmm. uh, uh, the nuisance behavior, it wouldn't be a problem at all. It'd be, n- number one, much easier to fix it, but maybe the dog would have never felt 
the desire to do it. Exactly. What was your bad joke before we started? Uh, Did I preface it by saying it was a bad joke? Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't remember now. I can't, I can't. Rehearsal is great at band practice, oh, that's right, yeah. but not when solving dog problems. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> not when solving dog training challenges. That's right. Yeah. And, and I think that's um, that's very true, at least in my experience. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it was it was a good joke for the situation because that is exactly the truth. What we want to prevent is from is our dogs from rehearsing and practicing the thing we don't want them to do. And, you know, we've all heard practice makes perfect, but that's true. And unfortunately, when it's something you don't want the dog practicing, it still strengthens that behavior. So practice is making that bad behavior perfect. You know, say, for example, you have a dog that started to become reactive when they see other dogs on the street. The more they rehearse seeing another dog and having that emotional response that charges them up and then potentially lunging or barking or growling or whatever the behavior is that's manifesting, the more they do that, the more that becomes norm. So what we need to do is we need to prevent them from rehearsing that thing. And, you know, it Depending on the problem, there's so many different dog problems that we see all the time, but there's a lot of problems that are coming out in terms of people getting out with COVID and and now experiencing dogs having new experiences at a little bit of an older age than Mm. they would have been had we been able to live our normal lives through COVID. So we're seeing a lot of dogs that don't have leash manners. They don't understand how to walk nicely down the street and see another dog and not be reactive. And unfortunately, the rehearsal of that thing especially is one of the things that will make that problem bigger over time because the frustration of seeing another dog wanting to go, even if it's a social interaction where the dog really does just want to go and play, but they're rehearsing this bad behavior and they're rehearsing getting frustrated and they're rehearsing pulling on the leash and lunging. And eventually that behavior becomes bigger and it becomes leash reactivity, Mm -hmm. which can often start to have an element of aggression. So what we want to do is we want to cut it off at the path. You know, you might not have all the answers to fix the situation in that moment before you get out to see a pro, but you can at least stop the problem from rehearsing itself and getting worse and worse and worse while mm. you wait. So what, sorry, go ahead. Well, you mentioned uh, that uh, practice makes perfect, but I know you've also said that that is not the case, that perfect practice makes perfect. And yeah. Yeah. I think that's such an important point, especially when it comes to dog training. I think of, um, you know, I'm a terrible golfer. I, I, I play <laughs> I play a couple of times each year and I, you know, I go play with uh, my crew at the fire hall. Um, and uh, I, I would go out, there was a time when I thought, oh, I might be able to get good at this. Like this might be a lot of fun. So I went out to the driving range. Uh, you know, me and uh, a couple of friends of mine, we'd go meet up there a couple times a week and I just hit balls and hit balls and hit balls. And I thought, yeah, I mean, I'm hitting them farther maybe, but I'm not getting any better. Mm. You, I went to one, one lesson, one uh, at this driving range, just one swing lesson. And it changed so much. Yeah. You know, I was able to, st- when I, and I don't know if you guys know anything about golf, I don't really, but I was standing almost at a 90 degree angle to where I wanted the ball to go because I'd hit this terrible slice that would just go off in a wild direction. And uh, this the guy showed me how to pull my elbow in and not move my hands the funny way. And all of a sudden it was hitting the ball straight. So I think the same thing applies to dog training where you, you can try over and over and over and over again to solve something. But if you don't, uh, if, if you don't have an opportunity to have a, someone say to you, trainer, probably a, a professional dog trainer say, you know what? That's the moment. Look at, look what his, look what his eyes are doing. Like look at his, how his body looks right now. Now's the time that you interrupt this behavior rather than, you uh, you know, when the dog has lunged 
or whatever. You bet. And it's not just a matter of, you know, you stopping progress on that thing. It's a matter of developing muscle memory around that thing. So not only are you practicing the wrong thing where you're not making your life any better, you're not making your golf swing any better. When you get to the end of that rehearsal period, your bad golf swing has been practiced and your muscle Mm -hmm. memory has now got more proficient at that bad golf swing. And it's the same thing with our dogs. You know, if they're rehearsing, as we said, if they're rehearsing that lunging behavior, that's exactly what they're getting better at. Yeah. um, uh, I just had a fleeting thought. I was thinking about um, Euchre. And I know if you've watched our YouTube channel, you've probably seen our series on Euchre from the day we brought her home and and some of the training stuff that we shared with her. Uh, She loved, Border Collie, loved motion and wanted to stock the cars, you know, uh, the McCann Dogs training property, 21 some acres, and um, it's fenced on all, on all four sides, but on one side, there's a busy road. And um, when a car would be <laughs> zooming by, Euchre couldn't help but be focused and want to stock and, and, and herd, uh, or at least chase, uh, this car. So Instead of allowing her to rehearse that, once we got her to, I mean, we didn't allow her uh, to off-leash for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's still there at times when we want to work on something and she'll still be dragging a line. But we didn't allow her to rehearse chasing those cars. What we did, in fact, is ask her to lie down. And Perfect. the car went by. And now, I mean, it's a couple of months since we started this behavior, but, you know, we were out the other day. I didn't even know a car was coming and Euchre laid down. I thought, what is she doing? Nice. Is she... Good yeah. job. I didn't even see the car yet. Um, but but this is the kind of thing, you know, uh, had we allowed her, because it's exciting. And dogs are seeking um, reward. And Absolutely. for some dogs... The simple act of chasing that car is rewarding enough oh, huge. to cause them to do it again. It is huge. Dogs uh, dogs in general, as a rule, predatory creatures. So that instinct to chase is already being fulfilled as soon as they start stalking. But then on top of that, you've got breed characteristics in there where Euchre is a border collie who loves to herd motion. This has been bred in for generations. We did an episode a few um, weeks ago called uh, on the nature versus nurture topic. Yeah. So we talked a lot about this, those influences are a huge thing. So uh, with Euchre, you know, tell me a bit more about the process that you used to to desensitize her. Was there space? Was there... Yeah, well, we knew, uh, we, we really worked a lot on her lie down. At the beginning of her training, her lie down uh, wasn't that solid for some one reason or another. It seems strange enough to be a herding border collie when lie down is like your brakes command, but um, it's just not something she was really strong at. So, mm-hmm. and you'll see in some of our clips on YouTube, <clears throat> there's lots of uh, uh, different shots of us doing lie down training in the house, in the mm-hmm. living room, over and over again, working on a lie down to a point, And then we progressed to sort of make a long story short, we progressed to the point where she had a great random lie down. Then we um, would go in, in the field that was that faced the uh, the road um, to a point where she wasn't that uh, fixated on the cars as they go by, and we just work on our lie downs. This is before the cars came, mm-hmm. and 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 then we got to the point where every time we heard a car coming, we would get out the whole crew, the whole pack, to lie down and euchre, uh, you know, as well. Uh, again, still on a line, mm-hmm. sometimes on a six foot leash if we were, you know, we wanted a little bit more control. Why? Uh, what's that? Why? Why on a line? Yeah, well, why on a line? Exactly. Because if she made a mistake, we needed to be able to show her how to be right. We, exactly. We didn't want her to rehearse that bad behavior. So, and again, same thing with the six-foot leash, you know. We needed to assess what's her state of mind? How responsive has she been today? Yes. In the last 
five minutes, Love that. 15 or whatever. We know whatever we we're planning for. But, but um, you know, that's really the thought process is how successful, how, how successful has my dog been? How mm-hmm. successful do I think they will be? And then what is, what is the distance or what is the level of distraction that I'm willing to work on today? And, and that's kind of how we decided our distances. That's how we decided when we were going to go a little bit closer to the road. But Ultimately, and I know we talk about these kinds of things a lot, but ultimately we, we've ended up with a great situation where Euchre will almost tell us when a car is coming because of that automatic lie down. Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, and it's just, work. I mean, this is, this is um, something you could at home, I'm trying to think of uh, situations, you know, maybe it's a sit, maybe it's a sit in at your side when a dog's coming or when someone's coming or some distraction that your dog loves. Maybe that's how you apply this at home to your training so that your dog doesn't rehearse barking or pulling on the leash or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. You always want to try to find something else that's more productive that they can do in uh, instead of it. And I actually laugh because um, I constantly tell my dogs, do something more productive. That's my, my, does anyone else have inside jokes with their dogs? <laughs> I have inside jokes with my dogs, so obviously they're just with myself. But that's one of the things I will say to my dogs all the time. You know what? Stop that. You need to do something more productive. And then I find something more productive to help direct them to. But having a different behavior in mind, it gives you an alternative. 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 So it allows you when the, the dog is excited about chasing something, having that lie down is a concrete way of saying you are not going to chase that thing right now. You take the option away of chasing because they can't chase when they're lying down. You have something to reinforce. You've taught this behavior that you've built value for, you know, already taking it out of the situation where the cars are there and the excitement's there by teaching it in the house to start with, making it a really valuable thing and then slowly introducing the cars. And now you're at a you're, you're at a point where you have essentially solved the problem because instead of her her emotional response clicking in that says, there is something that's moving. I want to go and chase after that. She says, the value in this situation is not in chasing the cars because that's never been an option for her. Anytime she has tried, you have taken that option away from her to prevent the rehearsal. And that's perfect. And now you're in a situation where she is learning to do exactly what you want her to do. When you mentioned that you had the inside jokes with your dogs, <laughs> you know, what, do you, uh, what are you going to do that's more productive? I found uh, there were times when uh, I would open the door to their bedroom and I'd say, what are you going to do with your life? <laughs> And then they would respond by playing the guitar and blasting me out the door. Uh, it was remarkable. Really, so, it was quite amazing. I can picture this scene in oh, my head you? as if I've seen it before. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, I don't. I can't even think of what band, what music video that. I was. I want to rock. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the the other thing that uh, I know, and it's part of what we were talking about earlier, and uh, you know what you can do until you have tactical. Um, a strategy mm-hmm. for your training to solve some of these problems is desensitization. You bet. Um, I remember, you know, I want you at home, I want you to think about identify the problem and then what is the, what is the root of that problem? Is it people? Is it other dogs? Is it, you know, I don't, whatever it is, you need to identify that first. And then this is how you can start to sort out um, some simple ways to avoid, avoid rehearsal. But you also need to think about some desensitization because there's lots of things in this world that we are unavoidable. Yeah. And uh, you need to teach your dog how to live in this human world. Uh, So you need to, you need to tackle some of these problems. There um, are uh, lots of clips on our video channel, uh, YouTube channel, 
of us working uh, with Euchre near a road. Mm-hmm. I spent, <clears throat> when we first identified that uh, she was really fixated on cars and the motion of cars, I would spend, I, I mean, I only did it a handful of times, but I would go out to a corner, uh, like an intersection near us, and I would just sit with her in control position and reward her as the cars went by. And over time, usually at the end of every training, by the end of every training session, her body tension had changed. You know, she wasn't as, her head mm-hmm. wasn't as snappy looking for the next vehicle that's coming. But we just spent time sitting in position, again, starting 25 feet from the road, then making our way to like 10. And I don't, I didn't get much closer than that at that point, but she was pretty young. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'd reward her for making the choice of checking in with me. I'd reward her for not, for, for sitting relaxed. Yeah. Um, and desensitization is a huge, uh, um, is, is so important in some of this training, regardless of what this nuisance behavior might be. Massive. And actually, I want to touch on what you just said. You said that um, you rewarded her for making the choice to check in. And we rely on our dogs making choices a lot. We want them to ultimately be in control of their own behavior so that we don't have to always manage them. And But what we need to do in order to get there is we need to make sure that we take the time to go through the process that teaches them how to make the right choice. And we also need to set up our scene so that they're much more likely to make that right choice. So we can't just go into a situation where, for example, if you were trying to get Euchre to make a good choice and look at you when there's cars and motion instead of going and chasing those things, and you hadn't put in all that work in the living room building your lie down, all that work in like a quieter setting where there's a little bit of cars and you're a great distance from them. If you hadn't put in all that effort first, the chances of Euchre making the choice to lie down without that influence, Mm -hmm. it probably would never happen. And I think that's what happens a lot when people are looking at choice-based dog training and they're saying it doesn't work is they are jumping the gun and they're not creating the situation where the choice you want the dog to make is first the most valuable one they can make and second, really the only option. We need to go through that training process before we actually make it a choice for the dog. Mm -hmm. I think there's a couple things that cross my mind as as you were mentioning that. Um, The first is never compare your uh, beginning to someone else's middle. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important thing to to be mindful of. Uh, But I also started to think about the fact that uh, we're so focused on foundation, how important foundation is. Ultimately, we aren't going to ask our dogs to sit in a busy environment if we've never taught them to sit. That's why we do things like uh, food luring when they are a teeny tiny puppy, when Mm -hmm. we're working through some of this stuff. And then we slowly teach them to sit on the verbal and then, you know, and hold position, which is more challenging. But, uh, you know, I I thought back immediately to, um, to, to, so years ago I went to, I went to ambulance school to become a paramedic and eventually became a firefighter. But before that, to pay for ambulance school, I was an electrical apprentice. You know, I worked through that. And understanding how how important the foundation is Mm -hmm. to maintain, uh, you know, the structure of the house and the larger the foundation, the larger the house, et cetera. You can't build a great big house on a teeny tiny foundation. But that is so important for dog owners to remember. What is the foundation of this exercise that I want? Mm-hmm. Walking on leash, people go out and they just think that their dog should somehow understand to walk on leash because maybe their last dog did or because somebody else is out with their young dog and they're doing a great job. But what have you taught them? What's the foundation of this exercise that you want them to build upon? Because that uh, walking on the street is probably someone else's middle. 
or maybe, you know, it's after their middle. You need to start with your beginning. Yeah, absolutely. And we talk about, you know, learning calculus on a roller coaster. Yeah. It's not going to happen. That's the equivalent of the dog on the street where there's distractions and trying to learn a new concept for the first time. And not only a new concept, but something that is going to be contrary to what they want to do. I mean, let's face it, if they're out there in the world and there's stuff going on around them, unless there's other things that are involved in this, if you've got a normal, friendly dog, they're going to want to explore the world. Mm-hmm. So we need to make it worth their while to do the contrary action to what they actually want to do. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing, you know, as we uh, talk about these things, we, we um, sometimes get people asking us questions and saying, oh, you know what my uncle did? Uh, or, oh, you know what uh, I read on, uh, you know, some, uh, some uh, community group chat that worked. Um, armchair experts can yeah. really derail your training. Yeah, and this has become such a huge influence in our worlds because we're on social media all day. And of course, there's this skewed line between news and not so news, but it all appears the same, et cetera. And and a lot of the times we take what we see and read online as fact, even when it's not necessarily from somebody that... Mm -hmm may or may not know what they're actually talking about. Yeah. Um, this is something to be so, so careful of because even even trying the wrong method once can set you back quite a bit. So I strongly discourage my students all the time from wandering around and, and uh, getting into the real thick and mud of the dog training community out there because... There are lots of people who pop up and have been in the community for five minutes yeah. and they spout things that are sometimes sometimes benign, but other times really awful methods as gospel because that's the only thing they know. And, you know, let's face it, there's a lot of armchair experts out there in the sure. world and especially when it comes to our dogs. So use caution when taking advice, you know, something that worked for your cousin's dog may very well be a nightmare for your dog and vice versa. It may just be a waste of time, but it might be something that does more damage than good. So you're best to go to more reputable sources than just the, you know, the interweb. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, I mean, it speaks to the point that uh, every single dog is a little bit different. A hundred percent. And even the uh, exact same steps uh, might be applied in a different way for your dog. Uh, absolutely. Especially when it comes to things like counter conditioning. You know, there, it, it's not just a one plus one equals two thing. We need to read the dog in there. We need to see how the dog's reacting. Is the dog reacting as severely as it did the previous time? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Is the dog worried? Is the dog stimulated? There's there's so many variables in there that will change how we address a situation. You know, it's not always fair to say if your dog is staring at something that you want to socialize them to, that feeding them for staring at that thing is a good thing. Sometimes that's a really bad thing. It depends on the context. So this is where it's really important to see an expert because they will be able to tell you the context rather than just saying, oh, this worked for my dog. That one plus one equals two attempt at a solution might backfire for you. Yeah. And I know this, you know, I don't want to get too deep on this topic, but uh, how often have you seen uh, or had someone say, oh, my dog's doing this or his uh, tail is stiff. Uh, so obviously he's, uh, whatever, gonna, he's about to get aggressive or he's mm-hmm. going to do this thing. When in reality, it's a collection of symptoms. Yeah. All of these behaviors are about a collection of symptoms and that's how you can diagnose some of these problems. So, you know, maybe you're, and I'm sure when you reach out, when your cousin reaches out to you or when you read it on the Facebook post that people are trying, genuinely trying mm-hmm. to help you. Um, and, you know, there's a chance that it might work. However, 
there's so much danger if it, I mean, depending on the behavior, there's so much danger in conflicting information uh, that, you know, I would really make sure that the resource that I'm using is qualified mm-hmm. uh, before I start uh, implementing some of these tactics. You bet. And there's lots of great resources out there. Our YouTube channel is packed Mm -hmm. with helpful things that you can get started with your obedience training before you get a chance to get in to see us. Get started. No harm in that. You're definitely not going to find advice for aggression on our YouTube channel or our website. It is, we we talk about preventative things and we talk about safe measures, but we know all too well that aggression is something that needs a one-on-one solution. We need to make sure that we are reading the dog properly and applying techniques that make sense for that dog and that situation. And even within that, that dog can sometimes have varying tactics as well. So it's not always the same reaction. A lot of these things that we're talking about, um, point back to leadership. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about leadership and what that means and that it, it, you know, it doesn't mean uh, the alpha per se. It means that you're a coach, a great coach for your dog, whether it is, uh, you know, not allowing them to rehearse or desensitizing them or whatever, knowing what their uh, strengths and weaknesses are so that you can put them in a situation where they can, you can coach them to be successful. Uh, We need to, if we're talking about this kind of stuff, we need to be talking about what leadership means. Absolutely. Actually, I heard an amazing quote for leadership recently and I love it. And I'm so sorry, I can't remember where I heard it. So hopefully I'm not stealing your quote, but it definitely wasn't my quote. So I'm stealing it from somebody. (laughs) (laughs) So basically I want my dog to look to me as somebody who gives good advice. That's leadership. And I love that. That is so perfect. I want my dog, when they're in a situation where they're uncertain or when they're just overwhelmed by the environment, I want them to look to me. I don't want them taking matters into their own hands. I want them looking to me for advice. You know what? What should I do in this situation? And I will make sure that I am there to give them that advice. That is my responsibility as owner of that dog. I am 100% invested in my dog when they're there with me. There's nothing else that has my attention. If I'm out on a walk, you know, if, if somebody wants to stop and have a chat with me, hey, that's great, but only if I have a dog that is capable of sitting at my side and maintaining that sit while I take the responsibility and put it on them. So if I have, if I walk through um, a neighborhood and someone wants to stop and have a chat and I'm working with a puppy, I apologize and I say, I'm so sorry, I'm training right now. I'll chat with you next time I see you. So, you know, I am 100% invested in making sure that the experience my dog has in that situation is a great one and he doesn't run into any, you know, anything that might put him off or he doesn't get to rehearse anything that I don't want him to do. I'm 100% invested in making sure that that out is perfect for both him and me. Yeah. Uh, and it might lead to an uncomfortable situation being a great leader for your dog. I think about a couple of times where I've been out and about somewhere and uh, I've got a dog in training and somebody says, oh, uh, you know, oh, can, can my dog meet your dog? He, he mine's, He's really friendly. And I, I without fail, I always say, I, actually, he's, he or she, he, you know, he's not that friendly. I don't really, that's not a good idea. Yeah. Even though I know I've got the ha- this dog, whatever, would love to meet that other dog. It's not good for training. And I'm not not afraid to make this person think that, oh, you know, that guy's got his hands full uh, with that dog. I, I mean, I just don't feel, I feel 
that that is the choice I need to make and, and that uh, communicating that yeah. is most likely going to get me the outcome that I want. I'm not afraid to look like the bad guy mm-hmm. in that no. situation because no. it's good for the dog. Absolutely. Advocate for the dog. And I just, you know, I just yell a happy greeting. Oh, hi there. Sorry, we're training. We're just marching along. And I usually cross the street. I think I make it really obvious that I'm working on something else. And right now is not an, uh, not an opportunity for interaction with the two dogs whenever I see another dog. Um, and I mean, on that note, I never... Never, ever, ever let my dogs greet other dogs on the street. It's just not worth it to me that to chance that the other dog is not as friendly as the owner thinks or to tighten the leashes and have the body language change, have the dog get uh, worried about the situation. I want my dog to learn when they're on the street and they see another dog, you just pass by with nice manners. So I don't allow my dog to rehearse pulling to or going to greet other dogs on leash. It's simply not an option. I totally agree. I think that's so important. Um, When we were... uh, I forget where we were. Kayla and I were somewhere and uh, someone, we were in a dog park, which was great because we were traveling and we had our, all of our dogs off leash and someone showed up and uh, just as the person approached, uh, we gathered our dogs up and said, mm-hmm. okay, it's all yours. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't really understand why uh, people really want their dogs to like meet and play and fuss with other dogs. I mean, maybe part of it is they see it as exercise or that there's some sort of social relationship that's going on between these dogs. But I mean, if you go at different times, you're meeting a bunch of different dogs every yeah. single time at the dog park. I do, I do understand that there's some social value there for the human, but I will tell you that in our position with the amount of dogs that come into McCann Professional Dog Trainers, especially when it comes to like behavioral challenges that the dogs have, the amount of people that have had one bad experience mm-hmm. in one event after a long time of going to the dog park twice a week or every day or whatever the thing is, and they have one bad event. Now this dog's life is changed you bet. for the worse. And I don't think it's fair. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I guess maybe, you know, I'll drive. I used to drive a long uh, 25 minutes to take my dogs for hikes, uh, you know, on the, on the, uh, the escarpment uh, because it's so beautiful and, you know, I could go to safe places, whatever, but um, it was really nice. But I just think, I don't know. I'm not really sure what the allure of the dog park is, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, I know a lot of people make those choices. And if you're making those choices, you must be mindful of what your dog is doing. Yeah, um, we could actually do an episode on dog to dog play and dog parks, yeah, and you know some of idea. the some of the safe ways to use dog parks. Well, and how how to socialize your dog. <laughs> How how to choose a playmate yes. for your dog because yeah. that's a way better scenario. Yeah, and the different styles of dog parks as well make yeah. a huge difference. You know what? That's going to be a good episode. We're going to get that one recorded. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you are working on some of these nuisance behaviors and uh, and maybe it's like your dog wants to play with other dogs, your dog pulls on leash and barks at other dogs, you think, you know what, which is something people say, just needs more socialization. Mm-hmm. Needs to like play with oh. other dogs, find out that, yeah, it's the opposite. No, absolutely. So, so uh, don't allow your dog to rehearse these behaviors. Behaviors. Yeah. Uh, uh, that is the number one step. Yeah. So let's just go over the the uh, key points that we talked about here in today's show because I think they are really important. Don't allow uh, don't allow your dog to rehearse the behaviors. Work on some of these skills without the distractions. Build some kind of foundation that you ultimately want the skill the skill for your dog to have. And remember too, um, the amount of repetition your dog needs. And I was thinking about an analogy for this and I thought, you know what, if I think back to my high school days learning French and the repetition of, you know, conjugating verbs and, and the repetition of the language and trying to get the language into my head... 
And then I think about the fact that however many years later it's been since high school, we don't necessarily have to bring that up, but I have no clue how to speak French. I have like two lines that I remember that my partner and I jokingly speak French back and forth to each other with these two lines. And (laughs) then of course we end the conversation because we only know two lines each. But if I had continued that rehearsal through my life, I would speak French very well now, but because I did it way back when, and I haven't done it since, that skill is no longer in my head. And if I hadn't done all of the repetition to begin with, I probably never would have learned any French to begin with. So Mm -hmm. that I thought was a good analogy for how much repetition and rehearsal we need to get into a skill before, because we're essentially teaching them a language. Yeah. 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 I love that. I think Mm -hmm. that's really important. Um, desensitizing that's a that's a safe way uh, as long as you use good judgment to teach your dog that you're more valuable than whatever that thing is that nuisance behavior is uh uh, because you are going to pay it when they make good choices and be careful where you take your advice from Mm -hmm. there are lots of armchair experts out there and uh you know, when we're talking about our four-legged family members, we need to make sure we're giving them great information. We don't want to put them in a situation that's not right for them. You bet. Now, if this is your first time here on our podcast, uh, make sure you hit that subscribe button or follow button. We uh, publish new episodes every week where we get to uh, hang out and chat, talk about dogs, dog training, dog behavior. If you have a dog in training, uh, check out our online programs. The links for that are in the description below or the show notes below. Life skills for our dogs five months and older and puppy essentials for those of you with teeny tiny fluff balls that are ready for training. (laughs) I want to thank you guys for listening. On that note, I'm Ken. I'm Shannon. Happy training, guys. Bye for now. Bye, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the McCann Dogs podcast. And if you'd like some more training resources, be sure to check us out on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook at McCann Dogs. And if you'd like to train with us online, be sure to check out the show notes below for our My Dog Can online training program, where we know in just a few weeks, your dog will become a well-behaved family member. Until then, happy training.